want to hopefully encourage you this morning with another story in the Bible that God chose to put in. A couple weeks ago, we spoke of a woman named Ruth and her story and how God had brought her and her mother-in-law, Naomi, from a place of brokenness in their lives to a place of blessing. Uh, And I want to talk to you about a story that occurred in the life of Ruth's uh, great-grandson, David. And so the story kind of continues here. And it's really a story about how God, it has the same theme in it, how God helps us recover things that have been lost in our lives. And I I hope it will encourage you today, and I hope it will be something that as we end this uh, time of looking at his word, that we might even together seek God for his help in restoring things. I want to give you a little bit of background about the story. It's found in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel. Samuel, uh, remember the, the story of Ruth took place in a period of time when the judges ruled. There was, uh, remember Moses had died, Joshua had died. There was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And there was a period of some 350, 400 years where judges ruled. And Samuel was really the last judge in Israel. And he was the one who helped uh, lead the the people of Israel, at least as a prophet and as a judge, through the time of their main adversary, although they had many, were the Philistines. And uh, Samuel, when he got old, uh, the people said something that I think was really hard for him to hear. They said this, Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. That's really a very sad statement. We don't like this, like, judging, and you're getting old, and your sons aren't like you. Just give us a king like all the other nations have. And that statement really bothered Samuel because Israel was to be a unique nation where God would be their king. And so Samuel took this to the Lord. He said, Lord, what the people are asking for a king, and God knew what the people wanted. And so he said, give them what they want. But then he added these words. Samuel, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. (laughs) But isn't that what we do all the time? God, I don't want you to rule over me. I think I can do it better. I... Thanks, God, you have so you know, you parted the Red Sea. I, th- I was thinking of all the things that God had done for them. You know, I part- you parted the Red Sea. You provided for us, fed us, and led us through the wilderness. You brought us into the promised land. You raised up judges all these years, but just give us a king. And uh, God was grieved at what they had decided. So God gave them a king. His name was Saul. And Saul started out well, but after a while, he became full of himself. (laughs) How many of you know that people who have power get full of themselves? And he wouldn't do what God had told him through Samuel, the prophet, or else he'd do it partially. You know, he didn't do everything God told him to do. And God sends Samuel to Saul with this message. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. But listen, he's not going to just step down, you know. (laughs) He says, oh, God said that? Sure, I'll step down. (laughs) 
No, he remains king. In the meantime, God says to Samuel, I want you to go to Bethlehem, and I want you to anoint one of Jesse's sons, Ruth's grandson, Jesse. I want you to anoint one of his sons as the next king. And so Samuel goes. He goes to Bethlehem. Jesse brings out his oldest son, Eliab, and brings him before Samuel. And Samuel takes one look at him and says, that's the guy. He must have been like me, a little bit buff, uh, <laughs> strong. What are you laughing for? <laughs> but God said, no, don't look at his appearance. Because God doesn't judge things like people judge things. God looks inside at the heart. I've rejected him. So Jesse brings seven of his sons in total before Samuel. And he says no to every one. And finally Samuel's going, what's going on? He says, he says to Jesse, do you have any other sons? Well, yeah, but... Yeah, he's out like keeping care of the sheep, you know. It's not like, you know, go get him, Samuel says. David comes in and God says, that's the one. And David gets this oil and he pours it over David's head in front of all his brothers and Jesse and says, God has anointed you. He's chosen you to be the next king of the people of Israel. And the Bible says this in uh, 1 Samuel 16, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that time forward. The very next chapter, you see the, the evidence of this spirit that's in David. As uh, the armies of Israel are cowering be, be, before this giant named Goliath of the Philistines. Who's, he says, just send me anyone and I'll fight. And if I defeat him, then you'll serve us. And if they, he defeats me, we'll serve you. And David says, who are you to defy the armies of the living God? He's full of the spirit. And God miraculously delivers. And so Saul makes David like the commander of the armies. I don't think he really had much of a choice, you know, when you have a battle, you win a battle like that. And one day, uh, David comes back after leading the armies victorious, and he hears the women singing a song. And the song goes like this. I don't know what the melody was. <laughs> Saul has struck his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Now, when you're full of yourself, that really bugs you. And Saul knew that David was a threat to his throne. And so, in fact, the very next day, David is in the court. He's playing a lyre, a stringed instrument. You know, this guy, I hate him. He has it all, you know. <laughs> he can lead armies. He's a musician. He's just got it all. You know, but anyhow, he's playing the, the, the stringed instrument in the court and Saul, this spirit comes over him, an evil spirit. And he grabs his, his spear and he throws it at David. David avoids it, of course. And, but for the next seven years, David had to go on the run because Saul was trying to kill him. It gives a context to some of the Psalms that we hear uh, or some of the ones that we read in the Bible. Like Psalm 7-1, David writes, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers. Deliver me. Seven years. The special forces of Israel are searching for him. 
And it's interesting that twice in that time, David actually had a chance to kill Saul. Once uh, they were hiding out in a cave and Saul is after him. He comes into that cave to relieve himself. He doesn't know David's in there. And the men are saying, now you got him. You got him. Go kill him. God has given him into your hands. David said, no. I won't kill the Lord's anointed. One other time he snuck into the camp. He and another man where Saul was camped and God had... God was involved in that. He, he caused them to really be in a deep sleep. And he just, he cuts part of the, he takes a spear, I think, or something. And uh, just to let Saul know, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Even though the guys were saying, do it. God's given them into your hand. You know, how often do we try to take things in our own hands and come up with an earthly solution to a problem? It got Abraham and Sarah in trouble. It will get us in trouble every time. (laughs) Sometimes we just have to wait for God to work out what he has to work out. Well, the story continues. David's on the run, and you know what? Men start coming to David. Men who are disgruntled with Saul's leadership, I assume, and uh, are not in agreement with what he's trying to do. By the end of this seven-year period is where we're going to be today in the story. Uh, There's some 600 men following David and their families. And at one point, they actually have to flee Israel. And they have to go into uh, Philistia, to the land of the Philistines, to seek refuge because Saul's after them. And David must make some arrangement with this king of the city of Gath. His name is Achish. And uh, Achish, I think, was seeing David and his men as possibly being a resource. Saul's after to kill him. He'll fight for us. And so Achish gives uh, David and his men a city to live in called Ziklag. Ziklag. And they lived there for over a year. Uh, David, his men, all his livestock, everything he possesses, they live there. One day, or one time, David and his men were up north of Ziklag, about 60 miles in this a city called Aphek, and they get word uh, that the Philistines are planning an attack on Israel, the forces of Israel. It's actually going to be the battle in which King Saul is going to lose his life. But the king says, I want David and his men to fight with us. Because he's a stench now to Saul. He'll fight with us. And the commander said, whoa, 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 wait, whoa, king. Uh, This guy, what if he turns on us in the battle? I'm not going to battle with him. None of the commanders agreed with King Achish. Achish comes back, says, David, you can't fight with us. Go back home. And so David starts the 60-mile journey from Aphek back down to Ziglag. And uh, it's a three-day journey. And as he gets there on the third day, he starts to look, and they see in the place where their city is all this smoke rising up. And there's got this sinking feeling in their heart. They know all their kids, their wives, all their possessions are in Ziklag, and they see this smoke. I imagine at that point they start just doing double time. And all that is background to where we come today, to the 30th chapter of 1 Samuel. If you have a Bible, turn to it. Okay. It says this, starting in the 30th chapter of 1 Samuel. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev. 
and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. These are battle-tested battle warriors. And they're weeping. My wife is gone. My kids are gone. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. The people wanted to stone him. They're, they're having an emotional response to what's going on. But I'm intrigued by that key statement. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. You know, when, when you have, you're facing some kind of hardship, some kind of difficulty, there's only two ways you can go. You can go away from God, or you can try to be strengthened in God. Those are really ultimately the only two choices. And David knew, how did he strengthen himself? He said, I've got to bring this problem to God. He didn't go off half-cocked, you know, and just, come on, we got to go. Let's go. Let's go find our wives. Let's go find them. He doesn't even know who did this. The writer here tells you it's the Amalekites, but David doesn't know that at this point. Now, he may suspect, but there's other enemies. He says, I've got to go to God with this problem. This is too big for me. He's a warrior, folks, but he realizes there's problems beyond what he can control and what he can fix. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. You know, Saul is no longer seeking God like that. You know when God heard about this or excuse me when Saul heard about this battle that the Philistines are planning against them do you know who he went to he went to a medium someone who seeks uh, from the dead wisdom and knowledge by the way folks don't ever turn off the long island medium show turn off don't 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 even get involved in that what does that say to god what are you saying to God when you turn to people? Don't read horoscopes. Don't, please. Is there not a God in heaven that can help us? So David seeks help. He, go, he calls the priest, Abiathar, which is interesting. When you read through 1 Samuel, it's a fascinating book. Saul had killed 85 of the priests of God in a city called Nob. Abiathar was the one who had survived and gotten away. He would stay with David all through his 40 years as king. And he seeks Abiathar the priest, and he says, he inquires of God, two questions, should I pursue after this band? They have 600 men, folks, and an army has come against them. He's saying, God, is this even, is this, 
Should we even do this? And he said, if I do, will I overtake them? Will you give me victory? And God gives this answer in 1 Samuel 30, the end of verse 8. God says, pursue, for you shall surely take and shall surely rescue. And so David goes. He takes 600 men with them. And when they've gone about 15 miles, they come to Brook Besor. I'm going to just kind of summarize what's in here, okay? They come to Brook Besor. And right at that point, 200 of the men says, I cannot go on. We can't go on. We've just traveled 60 miles. The last 10 of them, when we saw smoke, we were just flat out running. I'm emotionally sped. I'm physically sped. I know my wife and kids are out there, but I, we can't go. I can't take another step. And 200 of them stayed right there while David and the other 400 kept going. How many of you know that sometimes even when God has given you a promise, even though you know something is true, things get worse before they get better? Now David only has 400. But he doesn't alter what God has told. I mean, he doesn't, in his mind, he says, no, God told me to go. God told me to go. God said, I would, I'll have victory in this. He's going to help me somehow. Yeah, we don't have 600 guys. Now we have 400, so they keep going. And they just happen to come across a man laying half dead on the ground. Just happened. And David gives them some food. He gives them some water. He tries to revive them. The man starts to come to, and David says, who are you? Where are you from? And the man says, I'm an Egyptian. I'm a servant of the Amalekites. And three days ago, I got sick. And my master left me here for dead. I couldn't keep up with him. And so he just threw me on the side of the road. And then he starts to tell David what the Amalekites had done. He says, we were making raids here and there. And in fact, we raided Ziklag and we burned it to the ground. And David says, okay, God has told me what's going on here. And he says to this Egyptian, will you take me to them? And the guy says, hey, if you swear by God that you won't kill me or you won't give me back to them, yes, I'll take you to them. And then the pursuit goes. And David and his men, uh, led by this Egyptian, I don't know exactly the setting, but it says that the Amalekites were spread all over the land. I don't know if they were on a ridge. David's men came up on a ridge and they could look over stealthily. But the, the Amalekites are partying. With all that they've taken, all that they have, they're probably planning on selling the women, the children as slaves. They have this great amount of wealth and they're just partying. The beer is flowing. Or whatever they had. There was alcohol involved, I tr- I tr- believe me. That's what, that's what they do. But, but listen, that's what made them vulnerable. They were all spread out. They weren't organized. They're drinking up like crazy. They have, David, it says, it, he waits till dusk to attack. Why do you think he waited till dusk? That doesn't seem like a very smart thing to do. It's going to get dark. Because they're all stinking drunk. They're in no condition to fight, and he's going to go in stealthily, and they're just going to, and that's what he did. He goes down and says the attack took 24 hours. He went from dusk the one day to the, next, the following evening, and it says that God enabled David, except for 400 of the guys, young men, it says, of the Amalekites, got on camels. They got away, but everyone else was wiped out. And then you read this in verse 18 of chapter 30 of 1 Samuel. It says, David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. 
And David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing. Whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought it all back. And David also captured, in fact, he not only got back what the Malachites had taken from them, he took, he took the stuff that they had raided from all these other places they had made. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. God enabled David to recover all that had been stolen from him. When I was dating Linda, back when the earth was formless and void, <laughs> I got her uh, one of those Lindy's, what are they called? Lindy Star Sapphire Rings as a gift. And uh, one summer she was on vacation with her family in Myrtle Beach and uh, while they were down at the beach, someone broke into their uh, hotel room. And one of the things that was stolen was that ring. We never, she never got that back. Um, but she still had me, so. That's, uh... <laughs> hey, but, but no, it caused an angst in her. Getting ripped off is a terrible thing. Have you ever had something stolen from you? It's, you feel violated. It's, a, it's just a terrible feeling. And I thought about how Jesus describes Satan. In John 10.10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says that Satan, our enemy, wants to steal from us He's a thief. He first and foremost wants to steal people's souls. He doesn't want them to come to God. He wants to steal your marriage. He wants to steal your kids. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal peace from you. He wants to steal your faith. He wants to destroy churches. In fact... God opposes everything that God stands for. He wants to be God himself. And he wants people to worship him like they do God. Now we need to understand something. Satan is very good at what he does. <laughs> He's not going to send you an email saying, hey, I'm coming to rip you off. Be ready. <laughs> You're no match for... No, he's very stealthy. He appears even as an angel of light. So very quickly, what are some ways at which Satan operates? What is his MO, modus operandi? First, Satan will try to get you to doubt what God has said in his word. You know, how did he first approach Eve in the garden right at the beginning? Did God actually say, dot, 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 he will do this over and over. Does God actually say that? Does he mean that? What are you talking about? You must be born again. Did he actually say you have to have a spiritual birth? Or did he actually say you have to confess your sins? What's this repentance stuff? Did he actually say Jesus is the only way to God? I mean, how, how narrow is that? Just live a good life. That's all God wants from you. He didn't say that you have to believe in Jesus. What about all the people? What about other religions? Friends, Satan wants your soul. 
Do you know that the Bible says that hell is a place that was, God created hell. You know why God created hell? Jesus said God created hell and prepared it for the devil and his angels. That's why he made hell. And people were created for God. That's why he sent Jesus to be our savior. But listen, hear this. God has said in his word, if a person dies in their sin, without turning to Jesus Christ, God's provision for our salvation, they will spend eternity separated from God in a place that God did not want them to spend eternity in. He created it for Satan and his angels, but the result will be you will actually be with the one you choose. He wants, Satan knows he's doomed and he wants to take as many people with him as he can. And so he'll tell you things like, did God say that? He couldn't have meant that. When Jesus told the parable about the sower and the seed, the seed that was cast along the path, what did Jesus say? He said, it's like when the word is preached, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Satan doesn't care today if you listen to this sermon. He doesn't care. Listen to your sermon. But he'll say, you don't have to do a thing. Just hear him out. Go have lunch. Watch football. You know. Don't make any changes in your life. Secondly, Satan wants to steal your desire to love and follow God. He hates what just took place here. Seeing Tony baptized saying, I want to follow you. He hates that. He'll do anything to steal that from us. And one of the ways he steals that from us is that he tempts us to be satisfied with lesser things. Yeah, 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 okay. But let me give you this. Let me give you this. Let me give you this. Pour all your time into this. And it could be a good thing, but it's lesser than giving your life to God. And he wants to steal your devotion. How many of you are here today that just have to confess, I'm not where I used to be with God? I'm just not where I used to be with him. There was a time I was living closer. I wanted to read his word. I wanted to be with him. I wanted to sit with him. Listen, Satan's a thief. And yes, he uses our human nature. We have responsibility in that, but he will always try to distract you. Isn't that how a pickpocket works? He doesn't come up and go, hey, can I look in there? He bumps into you or he works with somebody else and they create a distraction. And while you're distraction, distracted, you get ripped off. And so he's distracting you with this or that or this problem or this. Or sometimes it's even good things and he, you're so distracted you don't even think about God. Thirdly, Satan wants to bring discouragement by stealing your faith. He'll say things like, God doesn't care for you. God doesn't really care for you. See, prayer doesn't work. You've prayed something. Maybe you've prayed for a long time and nothing's happened. And because sometimes God does not give us immediate answers, sometimes it's a long time. Sometimes we pray for things for years and years and we, we don't realize it. And Satan says, see, God, God doesn't answer your prayers. Or sometimes we, we pray and God gives us an answer that we don't like. And Satan says, see, just... Toss it in. He doesn't care for you. And lastly, Satan wants you to rely on your own wisdom and strength. He doesn't want you to seek God. 
He doesn't want you to ask him for help. He'll say, you can handle this. Just do it your way. You know, one of the most chilling, this is a, a way that, I, the best example I could think of this was when Jesus was preparing for the cross. He was getting ready to go into Jerusalem to give his life. He tried to prepare his disciples. And he told them what was going to happen so that it wouldn't be a, a total shock to them. He says, I'm going to go into Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of the Jewish authorities and the Gentiles. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be crucified. But on the third day, I'm going to rise. And Peter comes to Jesus almost immediately, the scripture says, and says, Jesus, if that's going to happen to you, if, if that's what's going to happen to you, you can't go to Jerusalem. I'll keep you from going. Come on, let's get out of here. We'll, we'll take you, we'll, we'll head back up north into Galilee. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. What he's saying is, Peter, you don't know what you're saying. You're throwing your human wisdom into things that you haven't sought God about this. <laughs> You're actually, that's, that's Satan. Give, I don't know, I, don't, I can't preach on what, I don't know how that worked, but at least Jesus recognized that when we try to do things just with our human wisdom and strength without God, it doesn't turn out well. In fact, we may be even working the purposes of our enemy. Friends, the attack that the Amalekites brought against Ziklag, I believe, is a representation. God put the story in the Bible to tell us there are spiritual battles in our lives and we have an enemy. And God is on a recovery mission. And I just remind you in closing, before we go to God and pray, of some verses from Ephesians chapter 6. We were reminded of them last week when Pastor Trey was with us. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. See? Does it say anything about our strength or wisdom? Be strong in the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against what? The schemes of the devil. He's still working too. But God says you can stand against him, but you have to fight the right way. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. I could have put that as one of the ways that Satan works. He tries to convince us that the problem we have is with each other. When the problem is there's an enemy that we're fighting. So put on the armor of God. And finally, in those are listed there, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and so forth. But then Ephesians 6.18 tells us a, a very practical thing, and I close with this, and then we're going to pray and seek God together. It's, Paul says, pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Paul says, pray. Pray for me, Paul said. Pray for the different people. Pray. We need to pray for each other. We need to pray and bring to God, even afresh today, ways that you believe Satan has ripped you off. And God, would you help me recover? 
Would you help me? You know, I don't know if it'll come like this. I'm not preaching a simple sermon that's saying, pray this and that victory will come. It did come immediately for David. I don't know. Your vic- your, yours may not come immediately. I'm not preaching that. But the thing is, is that we need to seek God and don't give up and keep praying. There's some problem, some need in your life, some, something so hard. Worship team, would you come? Uh, I'm just going to invite the worship team to come. We're going to sing, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My righteousness, my one defense, oh God, I need you. And I'm going to invite you just to seek God today. Satan will say, oh, okay, just, okay, we, we're done here. Who's, who's playing? Who's the, what game am I watching this afternoon? What am I having for lunch? But God says, would you come to me today? You can do that in your seat. I'm going to invite you to come and, and pray at an altar. We won't take a long time, but we're just going to pray and seek God. Say, God, help me. What do I do? Lord, this is painful. It's been so long. And maybe it's not going to change, but my problems have changed me. My heart, why am I angry all the time? Why am I depressed all the time? Why am I sorrowful all the time? Why is my spiritual love for you faded off? God, I've lost something in all my problems. Please come and help me. And we're just going to sing that song together. Would you stand? And let's seek God together. Let's spend these closing moments of the service just praying to the Lord. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. And Lord, I come and I confess Bowing here, I find my rest And without you, I fall apart You're the one that guides my heart In one voice and Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Is there anyone who wants to pray? Please come. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found, is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. Your holiness is Christ in me.
instrumentally and allow this to be a holy moment where you can continue to seek God if you'd like and uh, if you'd leave if you'd like to leave uh, please do so uh, quietly let's make uh, this a God said Jesus said God's house was be to be a house of prayer we're here to pray and seek God that's what we need so let me close us and then we're gonna play softly this song Lord I need you and um, don't feel you have to run out if there's things you want to approach God don't let Satan steal it from you father please help us recover things that we've lost in our lives a closeness to you a hunger for you Please don't let us lose these things, God. Some of it we know we're responsible for, our choices, but God, Satan has been there at every turn, encouraging us to go the wrong way, taking from us what doesn't belong to him, trying to keep us from you and your heart for us. We need changes in our hearts, God, and I pray that you would bring it to us. So even as we continue in prayer, please help us as we turn to you. You do hear our prayers. You do hear our prayers. Strengthen our faith. Help us to believe and trust in you. Whether the answer comes quickly like it did for David or if it takes weeks, months, maybe even years lay before us, God, give us faith to trust in you. In your name I pray.